I'm going to invite you to power on a Bible or turn in the one in your book rack to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to have a very simple sermon this morning. We're going to look at one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament for any Hebrew family and why it's significant and important today. And we saw that impact on those kids this week, but I want to challenge the people in the room of the importance to prioritize putting God first in the lives of the next generation. You know, in uh, the book of Judges, chapter 2, in verse 10, it talks about that one generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done. We did a sermon series on this in the past. You can uh, watch it uh, on demand online. But that one generation led to the most heinous, awful book in the entire Bible. By the end of the book of Judges, civil war has broken out and all kinds of atrocities occur. It took one generation who knew neither the Lord nor what he has done. So what we're going to talk about this morning, about leading the next generation, truly matters. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Come on. I'm telling you, it's super simple this morning. Like, if you're like in the summer draws and you know school is coming and you feel like you're underwater a little bit, I made it super easy to understand. So here we go. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. He's telling the Israelites as they go into the promised land, the end of Deuteronomy, Moses won't get to continue with them. And he's saying, these are what you need to prioritize so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. The Bible says we don't have to fear things because God is with us. The only thing we are meant to fear is God himself. And that fear is a reverent fear where we know the power and the authority of the God that created the universe yet loves us intimately. And I want to talk this morning about how to lead our children and our children's children. And I want to start by saying, I'm a parent as well, and half the time, I don't know what I'm doing. Anybody with me? And, and so I want to tell you, I am not a uh, family therapist. This will not be a psychological lesson for you. I'm a pastor. We're going to dissect God's word and what it says in this area of our lives. And it, it says quite a bit. And I've been challenged over my 14 years of being a parent how to do better at this. Now, I love this quote from a pastor in Oklahoma, Craig Rochelle. He says, a parent's priority is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from them until it rests solely on God. That our job as parents is to help them eventually no longer be dependent on us, but instead be dependent on God. Now, I find our different personalities usually put us at one end of the spectrum when it comes to that dependence with our children. Uh, Now, some of you, you are ready for your children to be dependent on themselves. Anybody in that category? You're like, uh, you're 18 months old, time to start changing your own diaper. (laughs) Got a few of you out there, I know it. And then there are others of you, particularly in suburban culture, the helicopter parents in the room, They're going to be 32 years old, still dependent on you if you are not careful, because you're not transferring that dependence from you over to God. 
And it's that hard tension of both leading them and having them be reliant on you and and you investing in their lives and then also getting to the point where they become more and more dependent on God. Because here's the thing, every infant eventually becomes a toddler, becomes a preschooler, becomes those young elementary students that you saw up here. But parents, they eventually become teenagers, don't they? And everything changes, doesn't it? They're like, where was that sweet kid? What, what happened? What did, what did I do wrong? And you're beginning the process where they're slowly becoming less and less dependent on you. And you're having to figure out, nope, in this area, I'm still in charge. But in other areas, you're slowly teaching them to rely on the Lord. And one day, some of you are about to send a child off to college or they're moving away for the first time. And you have that big moment where you, you no longer can protect them. That's the hard part of being a parent, isn't it? But that transfer of dependence is what God desires of us. Now, for the people in the room, you don't have to be a parent to do any of this. I believe some of the people who make the greatest impact in the next generation, they never raise their own biological child. That we have an entire generation that is desperate. Every statistic you can read demonstrates that young people are becoming less and less interested in the things of God. We all know that. That's not news to anybody. The rise of the nuns that believe in atheism and no faith has occurred in American culture over the last decade or two. Now, we have seen the opposite occur in our church over the last 12 years and in the Mercy Road family of churches and in the churches we planted through Multiply Indiana and in other churches that are also prioritizing the next generation. And I want to tell you, this has to be one of the most important thing in a Bible-believing church. If we are not teaching young people the ways of the Lord and prioritizing investing in them, we will miss out on everything God is calling us as a church family to do. A generation will grow up who knows neither the Lord nor what he has done. We have to pass it to our children, to their children, that they may fear the Lord as long as they live. And so my question this morning is really simple. Will you, not just the person next to you, will you help the next generation depend on God? Will you pray with me? God, I just want to start, and we thank you for all the young people in this church. I, you know, we don't even deserve sometimes to have the responsibility to, to lead this generation to know you because we don't prioritize it enough. I pray this morning, Lord, it would be a wake-up call for some of us. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room. As people are attending from all over the world right now online that your spirit is with them in that room right now. We pray, God, take away my words. But I pray that your Holy Spirit through scripture would challenge, convict, encourage us this morning to become the world changers you desired us to be. We love you, Jesus. We give you this time. Pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. You know, as, as uh, someone who has invested in young people for a long time, I was a youth pastor and then a young adult pastor. And then when we started Mercy Road Church, the majority of people were under the age of 30 or 35 when we started this thing. We have seen a lot of young people over the years have their lives changed. And on the same token, I also am a parent of a teenager and three kids, and I realize how often I fail and how much I've had to learn in this category. So I've tried to make this super simple. I'm even using the analogy this morning of a basketball play. 
So if we have any basketball fans in the room, even you can understand this. It's really simple. You know, the lob in basketball is one of the easiest plays to finish. It's where one player throws the ball up and somebody jumps up and just, you know, slams it home. And I'll never forget. You don't have to, you don't have to learn how to dribble. You don't have to have good shooting technique. <laughs> you just have to be able to do that. And uh, I can't physically do that. I know, but you get the analogy. I'll never forget the, one of the best lobs I ever saw in my life. For any of you basketball fans out there, uh, if you're attending online, there is no better place in the world to watch high school basketball than the state of Indiana. Amen? And, you know, I spent a number of years in California as an adult, but I grew up in a small town in Indiana east of Muncie. And uh, this will take some of you back. I'll never forget, I was at uh, the Muncie Central, Muncie South sectional game when Muncie Central had a future NBA player, Bonzi Wells. Anybody remember those days? And yeah, and I, I shared this story at the first service and somebody was like, I played on one of those teams, not Bonzi's team, but the other team. And there was multiple D1 players beyond Bonzi Wells in that game. And my buddy's dad was refereeing the game. And so we were sitting there. It was a very contentious battle between two rivals, and Muncie Central ended up winning the day. But I'll never forget this moment. Bonzi Wells, I don't know if he had like 40 points or what that game. It was incredible. But he's going down the court, and this is how I remember it. It doesn't mean it's true. He was dribbling down the court, and he sees one of his teammates, who was an incredible athlete, that he just throws up this pass, and he throws it high enough that... The, the player that was guarding him on a fast break wasn't going to be able to reach it, but only his teammate could get it. And I'm telling you, I swear he grabbed the ball at, right at the top of the backboard and slammed it down home in a high school basketball game. Right? And dude, as a kid, it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe what I had just seen. But he knew he put it in a place where only his teammate could bring that thing down. I've made this so simple this morning. I want to tell you, if you feel like you can't make an impact in the next generation, or you're failing as your parent, or let's just be honest, for some of us that have a few years under our belt, and culture has changed a lot, and you're just annoyed with young people, could you, could you just point to that person in the room right now? Just, just kidding. Uh, right? Like, I get it. I get it. But culture has always changed. It's never going to be like when you were a kid, ever. It's not going to be that way. So how do we keep instilling biblical truth, helping them to become the people God wants them to be in this generation, in this context, in this time? Will you invest in that? And you say, I don't know how to do that because I don't, I don't know the latest apps or the kids' slang terms confuse me all the time. My son the other day, I didn't say this at the first service, but uh, my eight-year-old uh, said something to my older son about risen the ladies. I was like, I don't even know. Like, see, some of you know what that means. I had no, that's apparently it's charming or something. Like, you don't have to know all of it. You don't have to have it all figured it out. We're just throwing up a simple lob of how you could actually invest in the young people's lives today. Are you ready? Really simple, how to lead this generation to, number one, love the Lord. We're going to lead this generation to love the Lord. Look what Deuteronomy 6 said in those first two verses. It says, you, you know, fear the Lord only. And then it says the famous verses that every Hebrew family would have memorized. It was referred to as the Shema. Everybody knew this is the most famous verse. And they're going to see why. They tell you, post it all over your house <laughs> so you don't ever forget this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In the Ten Commandments, Jesus said this was the most important thing to prioritize. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now, I think if you ask most American Christians, okay, if you ask somebody, are you a Christian? And they respond, yes. I think if you ask them, do you love the Lord? They're going to say, yes, right? We would all agree. But love is an action. Jesus demonstrated what love looked like to lay his life as, uh, down as a ransom for many, Scripture says. He came, the love that he brought was two-sided. It had both grace and truth. The grace to have compassion for people when they're hurting and broken, to offer forgiveness, to not judge and shame people the way that the world does. But on the other hand, to also stand up for truth, to say there is right and wrong. There are ways that God is asking us to live of how to honor him in our life, of the way he created us to be. And so any Christian has to live out of love, both the grace and truth that Jesus demonstrated for us. And that takes action. It takes effort. And I think if we ask those same people, okay, you're a Christian and you love the Lord, how often do you spend time with him? Do you read your Bible daily? Do you pray on a regular basis? Do you have times of fasting to commune with the Lord? Do you gather on the weekend to worship God with other believers and study his word together? And look, no guilt, no shame, not trying to judge anyone. I'm saying if we honestly ask that same group of people that question, American Christians as a whole would answer no to those other questions. The yes, I love the Lord, but those other things don't usually get prioritized. And I would argue the most important thing of the three points I'm going to make is this first point. Because kids are observant. And if we don't lead by example, by truly loving the Lord, by spending time with him, by communing with him, by studying his word, by praying, by praying with our kids, they're never going to experience and see how to live for God. Here's an interesting statistic I took from Life Church. It says, kids who become active Christ followers as adults, check this out, if mom and dad went to church, and let's all agree, you could attend church and sit in a seat and never love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being, right? However, the action of prioritizing the habits of worshiping God, look at the impact that it could have. If mom and dad do it, 72% of kids will as adults. Men, check these next two out. If only mom went to church, 15% of kids will as, as adults. Look how much that dropped. If only dad went to church, 55% of kids will as adults. And while that's not good, you see again, men, the impact that you can have by simply developing spiritual habits for your family. If neither mom nor dad, 6% of kids will as adults. It takes us prioritizing, not just believing cognitively that we love the Lord, but demonstrating with action that we love him and we desire him and we want to worship him and we want to draw near to him. That's why our motto is to live boldly and to love deeply, because in suburban American Midwestern Christianity, we can often say things that we don't really mean. We want people to actually live their faith out with boldness, not angry bullhorn boldness, but actually demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ to a hurting world. 
That concept of that comes from Acts chapter four. The early Christians, they lived their faith out so boldly, you didn't have to question whether they were Christian or not. You knew what they believed. In fact, they got thrown into prison, a couple of them, in Acts chapter four, and when they get out, they pray for more boldness, the very thing that got them in trouble in the first place. It's why I don't think you're gonna go to prison today as an American Christian for living your faith out. What I do believe is that you need to prioritize actually living this out. Do you love God with all of your heart, as the passage says, or with some of your heart? Now, I've been around Christianity where we like guilt people with that kind of stuff. Like, that's not the goal this morning. We're, but we're having an honest conversation. Your kids pick up the way that you live. We, we can say be kind to our neighbor, and then if they see us yelling obscenities at our neighbor, they know how we really live, right? <laughs> so, How do you do this? To love the Lord, it takes us living by example. If you want to lead the next generation to love the Lord, if you want to lead your kids to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, you have to set the example for them. Number two, if you're uh, taking notes then, is we don't just uh, help them learn how to love the Lord our God, but how to obey his commands. How to actually live the way that he desires us to live. See, Deuteronomy goes on in verses six through nine, and it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. This is how important it is to live this way, to teach our kids how to to know the Lord. Impress them on your children. Talk about uh, when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Can I tell you something like the prioritization of discipling our kids and making that the primary discipler of our families is us as parents or for those of you pouring into the next generation, grandkids, that that you as a spiritual leader pouring into their lives, the priority of that. It took me a while to realize that the primary discipler of my kids at a certain age had become the Disney Channel and now Disney Plus and YouTube. Any parents out there? If, if we are not prioritizing discipling our kids more than the apps and the programs that they're watching, they're going to learn their worldview and how to live from someone other than God. And I'm not saying those things are inherently evil or they're the worst thing in the world and we should get rid of it. What I'm saying is that the primary discipler has to be those of us who know Jesus to pour into them how to actually learn and obey his commands. I love this quote by Edward, the Duke of Windsor, who abdicated the throne of the United Kingdom. Now, this is maybe 70 years old. He said, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way the parents obey their children. I was like, have you been to our house sometimes? I was, <laughs> because I know how to, to teach these things, but living them sometimes looks a little different, isn't it? And we have to, as uh, parents and leaders, have a bit of a spiritual spine to stand up for what is right. And at the same time, the scripture talks about not just belittle our children and beat them up with yelling and screaming. We have to learn how to love them with the grace and truth that Jesus demonstrated to us. It may have been 70 or 80 years ago, but what you saw in American families has only gotten worse today. We could all agree with that. And I take this verse to mean that if we simply teach our kids 
how to obey, but we don't demonstrate that the end goal is to press upon them, that they have a heart to learn to obey God and to hear his voice on their own, they're going to miss it. It will just be a set of rules for them to live by rather than a relationship that they have with their creator and their redeemer. See, I got really challenged this last year because I got a teenager and I read this book and I want to encourage you, especially if you have somebody that's in junior high or high school to read this book. But man, for anybody that is wanting to make an impact in the next generation, you don't even have to be a parent to appreciate this. It's a book by Pastor John Tyson called Intentional Father. And it's about a father and a son and how for four years he invested in his son's life throughout high school so that he could be raised up to really know and live for the Lord when he graduated. And he invested not just his, his time, but his energy, his, his, he spent a lot of money even on it because this was the most important thing for him in his life. I want my son to know the Lord and grow up in the ways that he should, the way the Bible teaches us to. And And I read that book and I just thought, man, this is a lot. And I think that was the most eye-opening thing for me. Yes, it is a lot. It's hard to raise kids. It's hard to have a generation come up who knows the Lord and what he has done, which is why it doesn't happen so often. Because we don't take the priority of the amount of effort, the initiation it's going to take for us to make an impact in their life. I told you I'm throwing up a lob to you this morning. The acronym for each of these points actually begins with L-O-B. That's how simple I've made it. So the third point is this, that we have to be led by God. We have to train our kids that they are led by God themselves that they learn how to follow God as we're transferring that dependence onto him so that they become the person that it was created to be. And that takes prioritizing it in our lives as adults. It makes our lives harder, not easier. That's okay. Look what Proverbs has to say about this stuff. Proverbs 22.6, train a child in the way he should go or she should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. The word train there is the Hebrew word kanak, And it does mean to dedicate or train, but it also means to initiate. It takes some effort. You got to initiate it. Nobody, if nobody is investing in a kid, they're never going to become the person God desired them to be. Now, I use a lot of sports analogies. So this analogy is for some of you that don't like sports out there. Any Star Wars fans? Okay, I actually got this wrong at the first service, but now I know the correct answers. Uh, I like, I like Star Wars. I've watched them all. Uh, and you know, Luke Skywalker, he was strong with the force. Would you agree? But he never would have become a Jedi if he hadn't been invested in by Obi-Wan and Yoda. Who's with me? Three people over here. A couple of, yeah, it's okay. You can speak up. We got the full gamut of social culture in this room. And For uh, most of us, like if Luke Skywalker had never been invested in the idea that he could never have been used the way he was desired to be, I believe that there are young people in our church who are going to come to faith that if we don't train them in the ways of the Lord, they could have made a a spiritual impact reach thousands or hundreds of thousands of people all over the globe, future missionaries, church planters, future business leaders who live on mission and say, I'm going to make an impact with life. And if we don't train them in the ways of the Lord, who's going to? I've never met a young person today, if somebody actually cares about them, will spend time with them, 
Invest in them? You're like, yeah, but I, I don't know how to use TikTok. That might be a good thing. Like, it, it, what they need is someone who cares about them, who's not after something from them, who doesn't want them to achieve more, that doesn't want them to do something for them or attend something for them, but actually cares enough about them to hang out, actually listen to them, and pour into their lives spiritually. A mentor they can go to when things aren't easy. For those of you serving in our kids' ministry or our student ministry, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. To those that are uh, leading outposts for our young adults in their early 20s, thank you, thank you, thank you. The impact that you are making will be felt for generations, and you don't see it when you came and served on a Sunday morning and you left with a headache because it was loud in the room. You will see it down the road. I, I never forget, uh, I was a junior high pastor when I first got into ministry. I was like 23 years old. Have you ever been a junior high pastor? Hands down, that is the hardest job I've ever had in my life. I lasted a year and a half. And I'll, I'll never forget, I'd just be like pouring into these kids and, you know, you'd see some life change, but boys in seventh and eighth grade, wow. I just, I would get done. I'd be like, dude, that, he might go to jail someday. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I'll never forget there was this one kid who would just drive us nuts and he was always distractive and we had to figure out, you know, how to get him to pay attention. That kid grew up to be like the, the best dad, the best husband, the best, like you don't get to see the impact you are having with young people for many years to come. The hard work in the trenches of investing of them, of Kanak, training and taking the initiative to invest in their lives and teach them to obey his commands and to love the Lord your God, you will not see it, but don't give up on that training because you want them to be led by the Lord to transfer that dependence over to them. One day, you no longer are going to have to be the one catching the lob. You're going to be throwing up the lob to the next generation. And they're going to be the ones making the spiritual impact. And if that doesn't scare you, then you probably don't get it yet. Because it's not the, the next generation's fault that we don't train them and teach them to know the Lord their God and to raise them up in the ways of Jesus. That's ours. As adults, it is our job to set them up for success. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs about how to, how to train. Training in Proverbs, there's just seven ways. Train them to manage God's money. You see all the debt in our world? The Bible says a whole lot about that, how to be good stewards with our finances. We have to, Proverbs 3, 9 to 10, train them in the way to manage God's money. Number two, train them to carefully select friends. Proverbs 13. Uh, number three, train them to watch their words. The words coming out of their mouth. Proverbs 4, 24. Train them to be responsible. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Train them to guard their minds, Proverbs 23, 7. Train them to be generous, Proverbs eleven twenty five. 25. Train them to fear God, Proverbs 1, 7. I'll ask you this one last question. Are you leading your children or the next generation or are your children leading you? There's no guilt, no shame, not judging anybody. I'm, I'm just trying to be honest with us that in Deuteronomy 6, it's abundantly clear that it's our job to pass on the faith to the next generation, that they may pass it on to the generation after that, to the generation after that. And it's our job to do that. And at no time are we ever done doing that. Because for some of you, 
uh, I, I said it earlier, as you age a little bit, it can be easier and easier to start being like these young kids today, right? They're so entitled. They're so, and all the things that are probably true, but judging a younger generation who doesn't know any better doesn't change anything. Us caring for them, investing our lives in them, using our financial resources to impact that generation, to prioritizing it in our lives, that's what will change things. And in a room like this, we have people from different cultural backgrounds, it's just different socioeconomic statuses, different political leanings for sure. And we all have different ways of solving these problems. But as Christians, we must unite as a church family to say, we have to raise up a generation who knows the Lord and what he's done. And it takes us training and equipping them to teach and obey the commands of God. And it begins with loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and being. And it, uh, uh, teach them to do that as well. To love God and to love others. Because they'll only live the way that they've been taught. I always find it difficult when I hear my kids say a word that I didn't want them to say when they're younger or act away or get angry and behave in a way that was impolite. And I often have to look in the mirror and realize, where did they learn that from? How did they pick that up? They didn't just create that. They had to be taught that. And so we got to fight the spiritual battle. The enemy is winning. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants this generation for us to judge him, hold him down, say, you're the problem, drive him further, further away from God, that we become more and more atheist and agnostic people in our culture because of all the social problems that Christianity correct, creates. And I want to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell that we have seen over the last 12 years. Families be saved, marriages be saved, people helped financially, needs met, physical healing brought, all because people cared enough. You're going to have to find a kid. You're going to have to start praying for him daily. You don't even have to tell him. You just got to pray for him by name. Say, I'm going to prioritize this. I'm going to teach him how to love the Lord. I'm not going to judge him when they don't listen to everything I tell him to do. I'm going to keep praying for him. And I'm going to keep being for him. And I don't care if it takes five years or 10 years or 20 years. I'm not giving up on leading this generation because everybody else is going to throw in a towel and it's not going to happen because the spirit of God that was there in the creation of the world is here with me right now. And he gives me power, love, and self-discipline, 2 Timothy 1.7, to not give up on this generation, to keep investing in them, in our student ministry. I heard there's a big raid party happening tonight at the Cade's house for all the students out there. Don't miss that. We are investing in this generation because they are the priority. One day we're tossing up the lob to them and they're going to be slamming it home and it's time for them to take over, passing it to the next generation as well. Will you join me in that fight? Because it's going to be a fight and you're going to have to stand up and take some initiation to do it to live out the grace and truth of Jesus, to be intentional about how you're going to raise a child to know the Lord and to actually love and care for them. We pray with me. God, I thank you for every person in the room, for those who are attending live online right now. God, we can all fail at this and we can all focus on our failures. God, we repent of anything that has kept this generation from knowing you, even in our, our kids' lives and their friends' lives, if it involved us not being willing to follow you, not to take that initiation, not to train them, we repent of that, God. We accept your forgiveness and grace. And this morning, we ask your Holy Spirit would empower us to love our kids well, to, to talk to them today, to talk to our spouse if we're married about what the plan is, to pray about that plan for the weeks to come and say, how are we going to do this? How are we going to raise them to know you, Jesus? We invite you in. 
For the people in the room who are investing in their student ministry or kids' ministry, give them the courage, the strength to endure, God, and to keep in the trenches investing in those that need our help. We love you, Jesus. We commit uh, the young people of our church family, young people of our community, our state, and our world to you. Use this, Lord, to change the next generation and lead them well. We pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen.